Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, May 18th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We get the latest developments on the continuing sexual misconduct investigation within the Canadian military, including this week's surprise dismissal of the head of our country's vaccine rollout program, Major General Danny Fortin. Next, we take a look at Premier Jason Kenney's Monday afternoon press conference, which covered the current COVID situation here in our province, myth-busting surrounding the virus cases in cities versus rural areas, as well as the move towards reopening. We get all the details from Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen. Rocket strikes in the Middle East have entered a second week as the conflict between Israel and Palestine continues. We get a breakdown on the situation with Redmond Shannon, Global News Europe correspondent. And finally, Pledge Day is a long-standing tradition here at 770 CHQR. We catch up with Betty Jo Kaiser, the administrator and head elf of the Calgary Children's Foundation, to talk about where the much-needed funds donated by generous Calgarians and our Heroes of the Month businesses are now being allocated. 609, Mercedes had this weekend off as host of Global's The West Block, but we still have lots to talk with her about, including Canada's ongoing vaccine rollout and the latest black eye for the Canadian military. And joining us now is Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, Mercedes. Hi, how are you guys? Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back. And lots to talk about. And I'm sure you probably knew all this already. But what is the latest on the military police investigation now into Major General Danny Fortin suddenly pulled from running the country's vaccine rollout program? What, what do we know about it now at this point? So my source is telling me that this dates back to around 1989. Uh, the this would have been when uh, General Fortin was at Royal Military College as a student, and uh, RMC is basically the Canadian equivalent of West Point. It's where a lot of officers go to do their university. Uh, and the allegation that apparently came forward in March, uh, according to the Globe and Mail this morning, um, and, and my source uh, has the same information about what the allegation was, was that allegedly um, then Officer Cadet Fortin exposed himself at a party. Uh, so this is a historic allegation that dates back quite some time, but because the Department of National Defense uh, has said that they are going to take all allegations seriously and they're not going to discriminate based on when they happen, they've been looking into this sense. Uh, the results, as we saw, is that General Fortin uh, stepped aside, was asked to step aside uh, when more news of this investigation came forward. Apparently, General Fortin didn't know about it. Uh, that is quite common from what we have seen in terms of when these investigations happen, that the person being investigated, uh, as is typical with a police investigation, isn't informed of that. Uh, Major General Fortin has vigorously denied the allegation, uh, saying that it is he has not done any such thing. Um, and sort of the interesting thing about how all of this is handled is that it looked a lot like what they did with Admiral McDonald, where suddenly he was pulled as the chief of the defense staff. The government refused to give any kind of explanation as to why, and then it sort of slowly leaks out. Uh, and I'm not sure why it is that the government doesn't just disclose up front when these things are happening, that yeah. they're happening, and, and why they're happening, uh, because all this stuff about it affects the police investigation, etc. Well, if there's transparency in it's going to leak anyhow. It might be a good idea to just get it out of the way in the first place totally uh, and disclose that. But to me, Mercedes, what is what? What my biggest takeaway is: this was thirty-two years ago. So I think this underscores the fact that issues with sexual misconduct and issues of this nature certainly aren't new. It, it certainly has been going on for a long time in the forces, and you know, uh, Major General Fortin denies that this ever happened, um, and it's. 
it's not the end of it. I mean, I can tell you, we've talked about this before, right? The yep. number of contacts we get. Okay, that has slowed down, but not by very much. We broke the story February 4th. I'm still getting emails every single week, and we're into the third week of May. Um, and I, I'm still trying to get back to people who got in contact with us, in some cases, in March. Um, it is an issue that women and men, and I think it's really important to say that, because it's it certainly predominantly affects women, but I've heard from a lot of men as well, um, you know, feel they can speak on. Before mm-hmm. they felt that if they said anything, um, the consequences for their career was going to be pretty clear. There's still a lot of fear, but there more and more is a feeling that there's sort of this momentum now that you can come forward and report things, um, and you may still face reprisals. There's certainly still fear of that, but the feeling is you might actually get a police investigation, and that that police investigation will be scrutinized in a way that previous investigations were not. Yeah, heard, acknowledged, believed, which probably wasn't the case before, right? Exactly. It was that feeling that um, you would still be treated as the problem if you came mm-hmm. forward. That um, for for many of the male officers I've spoken with, they felt um, you know you were basically expected to cover, and and that has had a whole separate set of consequences sure. too for people. Uh, as the government has said, they're not only going to look into who perpetrated this, but who was aware and did nothing. Um, and we've got a story coming on that in the next couple of weeks that, that really goes to the heart of that issue of how many people sort of knew but may have looked the other way um, and why women and men would have felt they couldn't come forward in the system and say something because of the attitudes of superior officers behind closed doors. And this continued right up into March. I mean, remember uh, when Lieutenant Colonel Eleanor Taylor resigned? The reason she did it is because she said she kept hearing from senior Canadian Forces leaders that this was all going to blow over, and they really didn't think it was a thing. They didn't really think it was real. And she felt that the only way she could send that message uh, was to resign. And it certainly had the intended effect with a lot of people who I spoke to who admitted to me. They didn't think it was really that real. It was a couple of stories. It was people complaining. It was a bad apple here or there uh, until uh, Eleanor resigned. And that really hit home with a lot of these senior officers who had worked with her because they had tremendous respect. But it's sad that it took her giving up her career and that they didn't believe all these women coming forward previous to that, um, that this was not just one or two people. It was a serious problem in the military. Of course, with Danny Fortenzo, very quick exit uh, in, in such an important position that he held in our country at this time with the vaccine rollup. We're hearing that Brigadier General Krista Brody is his replacement. What do we know about Brigadier General Brody? Uh, she's had several NATO, de- NATO deployments, uh, including places like Bosnia, very well respected. She's a logistics officer, um, and that's Perfect. a great person to have in this role, someone who knows how to move things around and deliver them and get it done quickly and efficiently. Uh, certainly, she has an excellent reputation with everybody who I've spoken to has worked with her as being very bright, very organized, very driven. Uh, on the personal side, she's married with three kids, uh, not easy to become a brigadier general, certainly in the military we're looking at uh, with that. So you can tell uh, this is certainly somebody um, who has worked extremely hard to be where she is. And everyone who I've talked to about this has welcomed her uh, and really been delighted to hear that she is the person taking over because they think she's eminently qualified for this. Uh, and she's been working behind the scenes as well with PHAC throughout. This. So she's not coming into the role totally cold, which would be very difficult. She is aware of what's been going on. She's been tracking it she's been participating uh and so a lot of people just felt that uh this was 
really the natural person to step in and take over smoothly. And isn't it great to see these women, these strong women who've been so important in the background, finally being lifted to the forefront and taking over some of these big jobs. And, you know, we got one minute left, but curious as to sort of any update or where we're at with the vaccine rollout program now that we know who the new person is, it's going to sort of push it forward even further. Well, we're hoping to get an update. As you may have heard, um, (laughs) there was... Uh, a press conference here in Ottawa yesterday. The Prime Minister was at, but he left before taking any questions. So um, nobody got to ask him anything about mm. the update uh, on the vaccine rollout. And uh, we're certainly continuing to look into that and to follow it and to see where we're at. Uh, so much has changed since the last time we spoke uh, with Pfizer and Moderna now being given in Ontario and Alberta as the primaries and not AstraZeneca as well as other provinces. Um, here in Ontario, they're opening it up to everybody over the age of 18 today um, so that you can head on down and get vaccinated. Uh, but that one dose summer is still really resonating with a lot of folks who are saying, what does that mean, a one dose summer? Uh, so we're going to continue to dig and investigate on what's coming next with that vaccine file and, and what Canadians can expect. Good stuff. Thanks for your time this morning, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Well, a bit of hope offered up by Premier Jason Kenney yesterday as far as life starting to return to normal again in Alberta. We can look forward to easing restrictions in the fairly near future. We are working on a clear path to reopen Alberta this summer, tied in part to the rate of vaccination as well as to hospitalizations. It'll be a careful plan that will get us to a great Alberta summer as long as Albertans continue the huge momentum to get vaccinated. Last week, the Calgary Stampede announced that they plan to host a scaled-back stampede this year. That's great news. But how big a stampede it will be, how many of us can visit and celebrate the greatest outdoor show on earth, all of that depends on how many of us stick it to COVID by getting a vaccine. To discuss, we are joined now by Global Sarah Often to find out what the heck this all means. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. So, I mean, you know, not too much announced there, but uh, a a little bit of a a, a prodding, it seemed like, to try and get people vaccinated who might have been a little hesitant before that. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because, I mean, first of all, whenever the uh, Emergency Management Cabinet Committee meets, it's usually not good news for us. It means that they're talking about um, restrictions and that we can expect bad things are coming so this is at least some good news. There's some good stuff coming, some some glimmer of hope, as, as we said. Um, but uh, it's also interesting because a lot of what he's talked about in terms of Albertans' responsibility within this pandemic has been around those restrictions. And now he's really talking about uh, vaccinations and, and really trying to encourage people to go get their shots, to get signed up, and, uh, and to, you know, wear those Band-Aids on your arms proudly because, you know, he's really pushing that that's going to be the way uh, for us to get back to some sense of normalcy. Premier Kenny also spent a good portion of yesterday's update presenting hard data uh, as far as cases and hospitalizations. And it, it doesn't look great at this point and it expected to rise when it comes to some of these numbers before they get lower, right? Yeah, I mean, the hospitalizations are certainly concerning right now. And I think that uh, there's that hope, right? Like we're, we're, 
we're supposed to be at that 50% mark, as we're talking about data, at that 50% mark today of eligible Albertans having uh, at least one dose of their COVID-19 vaccine. And in other jurisdictions, we have seen uh, that number kind of be the mark of threshold for when we start to see some impact on those numbers. We've already seen that in the older populations just in terms of, of the severity of the outcomes um, for those that are, are older because of the vaccines, but we, we haven't started to see that yet within the younger populations. And so obviously it's still putting a lot of demand on our hospitals. Um, we are, however, expecting a surge of supply of, of vaccines to come in over the next several weeks. Um, so uh, Premier Kenny anticipating that sometime in June, we will see 70% of the eligible population with at least one dose. So we're getting there, but uh, the question is whether or not people are in fact going to sign up for those vaccinations. Sarah, you mentioned other provinces. Jason Kenney did yesterday as well. When we look at uh, Saskatchewan, for example, and their strategy for reopening, what, what do we know that we may be able to compare to? Yeah, so essentially he was saying, uh, you know, don't look at Saskatchewan and think that the, that's what's going to happen here because what's happened in our third wave has been much more severe than it has been um, in Saskatchewan as well as uh, basically across the country. We're getting at the worst right now. And uh, and so, you know, things are, are tempered right now. And we've been talking to Calgarians here along the Riverwalk just in terms of, you know, what are you looking forward to this summer? And, and what kind of a summer do you think it's going to look like? And a lot of people saying uh, they are tempering their expectations. They do not see, you know, even a stampede, a safe way to, to do stampede, that kind of thing. There's there's a lot of people who are concerned, a lot of people uh, worried about vaccine hesitancy and how that's going to affect us, how new strains are going to affect us. So I think that there's still a, a fair bit of unease and, uh, you know, it, it's pretty justified when you look at, at what's happening within our hospitals as well. Thank you so much for the clarification and the update, Sarah. You're welcome. That is Sarah Offen, a Global Calgary news reporter. At 6.43, violence continues to rage in the Middle East as missiles fly between Israel and Palestinian forces in the Gaza Strip. All of this despite international calls for peace. For the latest this morning, we're joined now by Global's Europe correspondent, Redmond Shannon. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for being with us. Can you give us an update? What's the latest situation as of today? Well, earlier today, it appeared as though the overnight uh, rocket attacks and airstrikes um, didn't have any uh, deaths for a change. Uh, unfortunately, in the last hour, that has uh, sadly changed. Um, two farm workers in southern Israel have been killed, believed to be from Thailand, um, and some people injured there um, on a, a rocket strike. Uh, but the bombardment in from both sides has continued, um, just slightly less deadly, thankfully, um, than it has been over the uh, over the last eight days. 213 Palestinians have been killed, including 61 children. And now it appears uh, 12 people in Israel, um, including uh, two children, uh, killed there too. Um, today, we've also seen uh, pro- a protests as part of a general strike um, in Israel, among Arab Israelis and in the West Bank, um, as part of showing solidarity with the Palestinian side and, and Gaza in, in the West Bank and among Ar- Arab Israelis, some clashes between the protesters and police in Israel as part of that. 
um, but uh, nothing major. And uh, as you say, the calls for a ceasefire around the world continue. Um, and yesterday we saw uh, President Joe Biden um, add to those mm-hmm. finally calling explicitly for a ceasefire, but nonetheless not uh, backing a United Nations Security Council statement, a joint statement that uh, it's believed every other nation on the Security Council backed, uh, continuing to say that Israel has the right to defend itself. So the United States still playing a game of, uh, uh, for want of a better phrase, of trying to uh, negotiate directly with Israel. Uh, it's believed Egypt getting involved too, of trying to, to work it that way, rather than from the United Nations Security Council side. But so far, it looks like uh, nothing has been successful. And Israel saying again today, the defense minister, Benny Gantz, saying the fighting will not cease until we bring a total and long-term quiet. This has been a very much, obviously, in this part of the world, long-term conflict. But for those who don't know, what started this uh, recent outbreak of violence and how many people have died? Well, Andy, I mean, it, it's always a case of which stay, step back you go. How, you, mm. you want to go back a week, you want to go back a month, you want to go back a decade. A hundred years is how far you go back, and that's what this always boils down to. But ultimately, during Ramadan this year, in the previous months, there were increased checks of Palestinians um, in East Jerusalem and the West Bank. Security checks that ramped up tensions. Then there was the there's the threat and the court decision to evict Palestinians from the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in East Jerusalem near the Al-Aqsa Mosque protests there. There was Jerusalem Day just uh, over a week ago in which uh, um, hardline uh, Israelis uh, were going to march near the Al-Aqsa Mosque. That ended up with police presence and uh, police uh, clashing with Palestinians in the Al-Aqsa Mosque were there that morning. Um, stun grenades being thrown into the to the mosque, and and I think that really sparked things off for this conflict, which just ramped up bit by bit by bit, and then rockets for being fired from Gaza towards Israel, and then of course Israel hitting back hard, and now more than uh, more than two hundred and twenty people are dead. Redmond, thank you so much for the update this morning. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a great day. That is Redmond Shannon, Global News Europe correspondent. Ah, takes you back, doesn't it? About five and a half months ago, in fact, to the first Friday in December, when we were celebrating Pledge Day in support of the Calgary Children's Foundation. It was a banner day, thanks to all of you, our listeners, and our Heroes of the Month. We raised over $300,000 for small local children's charities. And yesterday, the board of the foundation met and reviewed 36 applications for funding. And joining us now is Betty Jo Kaiser, head elf of the foundation, to tell us how the meeting went. Hi, Betty Joe. <laughs> Good morning. Or should we I call love you the music? Yeah, well, nice, <laughs> eh? Get to get you back into the mood. We'll call you money bags as you tell us how it went yesterday. Oh, it was so exciting. Uh, as you know, as you just said, we had such a su- successful pledge day, raising well over three hundred thousand dollars. So we received thirty six requests, and the board was able to grant 28, which is one of the highest numbers we've ever been able to grant in the past. So I'm very excited about it. The board was so receptive, some some very difficult decisions to make. Unfortunately, we can't give to everybody every year. But overall, it was a, it was a fun day. It was an exciting day. And uh, the checks are going to be in the mail. 
Oh, nice. Uh, can you give us, uh, I've got a two-pronger question for you, Betty Jo, because I know you're up for it. Mm. Okay, uh, prong one, give us some idea of some of the types of programs that will receive funds. And then something that I really learned about last year, which is the grassroots nature of these programs. Yeah, sure. So we broke down the requests into uh, four categories. One was basic needs, so food, clothing, shelter. So charities that were looking for um, food and nutrition support for kids' charities. And then um, requests for children with special needs. So kids that are uh, dealing with some really difficult diagnosis and they need some supports. And then we have another one that I call support. So this is where we wrap our arms around uh, kids in the community that need a little bit of help. Kids at risk, kids with, again, specific diagnoses, kids with uh, maybe they've got some challenges with learning. And then the fourth category is recreation, because at the end of the day, all kids deserve to, deserve to have some fun. So there's a couple of camps in there. Um, fingers crossed that the COVID restrictions are going to lift. Uh, some really, uh, really great support for kiddos that are struggling with some developmental delays. And uh, the other, it was a two-pronged question. The other <laughs> one was, oh, yeah, uh, at least three of the organizations that uh, the board chose to give to have no staff. They are volunteer-driven, supported, Mm. and run 100%. So zero admin costs. They're either groups of parents or people in the community that have identified in need, kids that are just falling through the cracks, and they work so hard to raise money and work on projects, and the board definitely... soft spot in our hearts for those ones for sure well i i know you're in charge of the whole thing really in in the end and we we know that you and the team do great work and we're grateful and we're grateful to the listeners who who donated so much money this year just the whole thing it's great to get a little uh you know kind of a wrap-up of of where that money might be going in the future so thanks for joining us no problem thank you and thank you so much to everyone who donated that is betty joe kaiser she is the administrator for the uh, calgary children's foundation